Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you that we can gather this morning uh, with our Bibles open. Uh, be at work in our hearts by your Spirit uh, as we fellowship with you and one another, Father. Speak to us, speak to our hearts and our minds and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask this all to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Uh, well, I don't want to uh, talk out of school, uh, but you may have noticed Tinnika's hand has uh, had stitching this past week or so. Uh, story goes, she was uh, out bushwalking at Gunna Wiggle, stumbled across nothing less than a yowie, and there was a bit of a scrap. Uh, Tinnika has the scar to prove it, and the yowie, well, word has it, it's still running, apparently. Uh, the other week, someone asked me how I was. Hey, Adam, how are you? Anything new? Uh, I didn't really take the hint at the time, but it turned out their mother, who lives in another town, had told him that Adam Draycott was leaving the diocese and that my dad was very ill. Well, you probably know my dad couldn't be better. He went to glory two years ago. And as for leaving, well, nobody's told me yet. Of course, Daniel soon departs for the US. I think he flies out tomorrow for an Anglican leadership conference, so we should include him in this. Uh, he says the conference, of course, is no big deal. He's written a blurb on it, but don't read that now. Save it for later. He says it's no big deal, but we all know better, don't we? You know, that maroon scarf he likes to wear in the right light could easily pass for purple, don't you think? Anyway, gossip talk number four. Uh, this is a fourth talk in a series that we've been doing. We've spent a lot of time defining gossip. And the definition we came up with was that it's bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Uh, and we, then we looked at how it manifests itself, the spy, the complainer, the busybody, etc. And then in our third talk, we examined our judgy, condemning, self-righteous hearts. We're encouraged to go with grace instead. Today... We are talking about more tools for resisting gossip. And Ephesians chapter 4 is helpful. We'll be in Ephesians 4 a fair bit this morning. So I hope you have your Bibles open there. In verse 29, Paul is very plain. He writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now that word unwholesome quite literally means rotten, corrupt or decomposed. It's a word also used to describe overripe fruit that's going off and becoming rotten or fish that it's beginning to stink. It's unwholesome. That's the word. And I don't know about you, but stinky fish, is there anything worse than fish going off in the esky? Terrible. And so these unwholesome words are rotten words. They're words gone bad 
they're off, they're on the nose. Unwholesome talk covers a broad range of things, including profanity, and certainly it includes gossip. But Paul's not merely going to tell us what not to do, he offers positive alternatives as well. Overcoming gossip isn't just about what not to do, it's about learning positive principles as well. And so as we come to Ephesians 4, we need to remember that the three chapters before chapter 4, they all explain the gospel as God's amazing eternal plan to bring glory to himself through Christ is shown. The first three chapters of Ephesians is about what is done, done, done for us in Christ Jesus. But then Paul here turns a corner. And now he's teaching us how we're to apply the truth of the gospel in our lives. And so in the last three chapters of the book, he explains the implications of the gospel. It's a bit like being a Bible study, you know, when the application question comes up and you'll kind of die a little bit on the inside as the rubber hits the road. This is the part of Ephesians we're up to. So how, how is the gospel worked out in our lives? In a word, it's change. So look at verse 17. Paul writes, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Okay, so pay attention. That you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Indulging in impurity includes gossip. It's where you can't get enough of those choice morsels. But the Christian is called to live differently. And the next couple of verses explain the change. Verse 20. That, however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. See, Paul is saying this is, verses 17 and 19, that is not who we are. He goes on to say in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to instead put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so whether we live in Ephesus, or Ivanhoe, or Inverell, our relationship with Jesus isn't for nothing. It's not just that we're saved and then we live a life you know, of indifference. Our relationship of Jesus brings change and transformation. And it means that we're different people, different to the world, where we think differently, we act differently, and we speak differently. And so Jesus changes everything. And the encouragement here from Paul is to become the people that we are. 
become the people that we are. We have a new identity now. We are called then to live out that identity. We have it. We have it now. Hear that bit. The Christian has a new identity as people who are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our new identity. And the encouragement then is to live it out. Shine like stars. Be salt. Be light. All those beautiful things. We know those pictures. Uh, interestingly, Paul doesn't go for stars or salt or light. He, he, he goes for a change of wardrobe. So I imagine the girls are pretty happy about that. Change of clothes. New wardrobe. Take off. The old coat and put on a new coat is the encouragement. Paul is saying, here's the thing, that old you, it's got to go. That old nature of sin, it's corrupt and you've got to take it off and chuck it in the bin. It's got to go. Instead, verse 23, we need to be made new again. And being made new again means, by the help of the Holy Spirit, taking in and believing and living in light of the gospel truths that we learn today and every other Sunday. Everything you read in Ephesians 1 to 3. It means, verse 24, that we need to put on the new self. There it is. Created to be like God. In true righteousness and holiness. This is what we're made for. That's the new coat. That's the new you. And dare I say, that is the real you. This is who we are now in Christ Jesus. Don't be fooled to thinking the old you is the real you. That's not true. The real you is who you are in Christ Jesus. And so, as recipients of grace and love and forgiveness and patience and mercy, by grace, this is who we are. So get dressed in it. Dress yourself in these things. Clothe yourselves in these things. So verse 25, it gets very practical. Put off lying and instead put on truth speaking. See verse 25? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour for all members of the one body. Put off sinful anger and put on peacemaking, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Terrible thing when the devil gets a foothold. Put off stealing, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Instead, he must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. It's the entire opposite. Instead of stealing, you're giving to people generously. And so we see the pattern. You put off, you put on, you put off, you put on. And we could call this repentance. You could call this sanctification, if you understand what that means. You can call this obedience, faithful obedience. What you can call this is, this is you exercising your faith. 
Faith is not just a matter of mental assent where I say I believe. Faith is something exercised and lived out in our, in our words and in our actions and in our deeds. And all of this is the context of verse 29. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. According to whose needs? Their needs. Yeah, it's about the other person. It's about loving your neighbour. Not loving self. Gossip is an exercise in loving self. But when we love others, we'll think about their needs and we'll use words that build up. So we put off gossip. Put it off. Stop doing it, and we put on speech that builds up and loves. Put off, put on, again and again. Now, what does this look like? Let's get practical again. And I've got uh, four clues in your sermon outline. So what does it look like to put off gossip and put on speech that builds? And I want to say the first thing is, sometimes it's better just to say nothing at all. Yeah, zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. Can't say anything good? Don't say anything. You heard that before? There's wisdom in that. Ray Warren was talking about that, the football commentator. The other blokes are celebrating Ray Warren. They say, Ray, we've never heard you criticise another player. And he said, well, the saying is true. You can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Proverbs 10:19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. I'll read that and think, oh, maybe the sermon should stop there. I should get off the platform. (laughs) Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. I can counsel myself and say these are God's words. Proverbs 17, 27, so I'll keep going. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Reminds me of a phrase, better to remain silent and to be thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. (laughs) Here's the second thing. So there is a lesson there in saying nothing. Uh, Commend the commendable, verse 29, isn't it? It's part of using words to build up. And maybe some of us need to work on saying something good instead of something negative. And that's part of using words that are helpful for building others up. Words that are encouraging. Affirmation. It applies in our families. The way children speak of parents or the way parents speak of their children. It it relates to the way co-workers need to talk about one another or neighbours, or or church members. Finding the positive instead of complaining about the negative. And so if, if there is absolutely nothing to say about a person, then say nothing. But if there is something or anything, then let's hear that. Now I want to qualify this. Don't hear me say that we should pretend that everything is good all the time, because I'm not saying that. 
And don't hear me encourage empty praise where we celebrate mediocrity, because that doesn't make sense to me either. And don't hear me say uh, about... um, uh, Let me say that again. Uh, This isn't about where we're trying so hard to be encouraging that we make overstatements that are simply not true. That pops up from time to time. False flattery is nauseating, I find. Truthful words, though, build up. People that choose not to tear down. And that old word for building up is edification. It's to edify. And it's good. It's a good word. Because I think the picture is our words can make people feel as strong and as stable as a house. As the words build up. They can make us feel that secure when we hear truthful words, words that build up. But it's equally true that our words can serve like a wrecking ball and completely destroy said house. So our words are powerful. And the encouragement then is to be people that seek to edify and build each other up, not in a false or contrived way, but with sincerity and love. Here's the third thing. Uh, We can talk to people, not about people. So what do I mean? I mean, when problems arise, the temptation is to run off and tell everyone else who listens and get sympathetic ears, except the person with whom we have the issue. We'll tell everyone else under the sun, but not the person we have a problem with. And it happens because we're insecure and because we're broken and hurt. And we need as many people on our side as possible, stroking our broken egos. And the way forward in a conflict is not to talk about another person behind their back, but to talk the person in love. And I will say, sometimes that's really, really hard. We should acknowledge that. And there are circumstances where that is impossible. But I also want to say, this is the new you, right? Ephesians 4 says, this is the new you. This is the new me. And the new you that you are wearing is braver and stronger and wiser in Jesus. In Jesus, the new you is more real and more truthful than the old you. And so we are to put off gossip and put on a willingness to lovely engage and even confront those with whom... We are in conflict. So you can work it out. Did someone offend you at church? Go and see them. If it's me, my appointments are full tomorrow morning. Okay, just saying that. (laughs) That's only half a joke. Did someone hurt you? Did they hurt your feelings at a meeting or, or or somewhere, a Bible study? I don't know. Just go and see them. And we need to speak what is helpful for building others up. We need to be other person-centred. We always think it's all about me. It's all about me, my wants and my hurts. 
Bible's telling me actually I need to be thinking about the other person. I need to be edifying according to whose needs I need to think love one's neighbour. Proverbs 10 verse 21. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Here's the last thing. Offer words of mercy. We can be merciful because God has been merciful to us. We don't have to say everything we think. Often we can do better than staying silent or commending the commendable. We can go the extra mile and speak words of grace because that's what God does. And we're encouraged here to be like him. So we remember Ephesians 4 verse 24. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And that means in a potential gossip situation, we should choose the most merciful, the most gracious thing we can think of to say. And that might take imagination. But righteous living takes more imagination than wicked living. And it doesn't come naturally, but it is far better. And by imagination, I don't mean tell lies. That's just nonsense. By imagination, I mean tell a good story. Find a good story. Teach something useful. Crack a funny joke. Share some thankfulness. Speak words that show a love for God and a love for one's neighbour. Ephesians 5, 19-20. This is what the people of God are like. We're encouraged to speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It doesn't have to sound good, by the way. You just sing. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when all else fails, we can use our words to pray, even if it's, Lord, give me help. We can use our words to pray, we can use our words to glorify the Lord and we can show God to people. And so let us put on grace-giving, people-building, truth-loving, God-imitating, Jesus-like speech. Amen.